whatever you feel about it, you have peace with God. That Jesus' favor rests on you. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to get better. You don't have to, <laughs> to get sober. Right now, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is peace. And you can strive and you can work and you can try to be better tomorrow, not to earn peace, but believing that you already have it. I'm not sure if I wanted to mess with my holiday spirit the other day, but I decided to look up all of the conflict and all of the strife and all of the wars that are happening in our world right now. And if you're having a good day, I would not recommend doing the same thing. I ended up on a Wikipedia page called Ongoing Armed Conflicts that just listed country by country all the places on planet Earth where war is happening right now and all the lives that have been lost in that conflict. And I read about the, what, 400,000 deaths and counting in the Syrian civil war. And I studied the 200,000 deaths and counting in the Mexican drug war. I read about the crazy strife happening right now in Yemen, the kids that were just abducted in Nigeria, country after country, place after place, some I had heard of, some I had never heard of. And it proved to me that our planet is not a very peaceful place. Some of you know that, not just from the news, but from your own experience. Uh, you're old enough to remember Vietnam or the Persian Gulf or Iraq or Afghanistan. And you know personally better than any of us that the world isn't always full of peace and happiness and love and joy. I think personally for a second, uh, is there any relationship in your life right now that is not exactly filled with happiness and peace? Could you think of someone in your family Maybe it's your older brother or your younger sister. Maybe it's your significant other or your spouse or one of your children. Where it's not exactly a happy home full of unity and a lot of this. Can you think of a coworker that you kind of butt heads with? Or a next door neighbor that you've never really, really actually liked? Can you think of someone at church where it gets kind of awkward? And you, you try to be cordial about it, but you don't exactly get along. Can you think of an ex or someone you used to date or be married to where the relationship is tense and it's just the facts because it gets emotional really, really quickly? I think all of us could probably think of someone. And my question to you is, why is that? If you'd prefer to live with less drama, and I'd prefer to less drama, live with less drama, and they would prefer the exact same thing. Why is it that peace between people is so difficult? Why are relationships with peace and extended families with peace and neighborhoods with peace, why, why does that seem like such a rare thing? Well, I have a theory that I want to test out on you today. And if you're taking notes at home or in your program, um, here's the theory I want to test out on you. I think that peace is so rare because of this. Because peace has a price. What do you think? Am I right about that? Let me give a bunch of examples to see if I can prove my point. Uh, two preschoolers both want the same plastic fire truck. <laughs> and when they both think about me, <laughs> what I want, there's not going to be a lot of peace. Two sisters both want to wear the same pair of shoes to high school. Two significant others both want the other person to apologize 
first. Two older siblings have different ways of caring for their aging mother in a nursing home. Two gangs both want the same block. Two nations both want the same land. It, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. It could be two brothers both wanting the controller for the next game of Assassin's Creed. Or two kings both wanting the same plot of land to get to the oil and resources. When any two people or groups think me and I, you miss out on peace. And so peace becomes an incredibly rare thing because the hardest thing in the world is to tame the warlord within you. All right, that beating heart that says, me first, me first, me first, me first. This is why dating someone is hard. This is why being a good neighbor is really hard. You want the grass to look like that and they would prefer to make it look like that. The smallest thing, the, the biggest thing, nations, countries, or spouses, me first makes a mess. And that is why we so rarely have peace. You get your first job and you think you know how the job should be done and when it should be done and how fast it should be done and your boss has a different opinion. You're growing up as a teenager and your parents tell you, here are the chores and here's when I want them done and you'd prefer to do them at a different time and in a different way. In a thousand different examples, you get my point. Peace has a crazy high price. Actually, though, this isn't my personal theory. Uh, this is a theory that I stole from Jesus' little brother, James. Check out his powerful words. James 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Why isn't there more peace? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking, thanks, Pastor. Great, great holiday season. Now, I wanted to be real with you today. Because all of us ache for peace and we sing Christmas hymns and carols about peace, but it, it's really an honest question to say, is that even possible? If everyone in your family and in your neighborhood has that same me-first heart and that still beats within you, even if you're a follower of Jesus, could this ever change? And the difficult but amazing answer I have for you today is yes, it can. With people, things might feel impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And today, I want to show you how. Today, I want to show you how Jesus Christ himself made peace with a bunch of people who were thinking of themselves first. How Jesus changed the way that Christian people think about God, not struggling and striving and shaking a fist, but obeying and following and submitting and saying to God, you first. Like, how did he do that? <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus right now, if you're a Christian who says, I obey God and I listen to God and I read the book and do my best to submit to God, how in the world did that happen? If you were born with a me first heart. Well, today I'm going to show you. I was able to search through this book, the Bible, and cover to cover found that there are 249 different spots that bring up the word peace. And I ain't got time to talk about all of them today. But I want to touch down in just a few places to show you how Jesus made peace with his people. 
And maybe in the process, we can learn about how to make peace with each other. So we're going to begin our journey in a great classic prophecy from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. And here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote about 700 B.C. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be something about Jesus, something powerful within him that would bring peace and unity to people who were previously separated from God. And that's why I brought this. Anyone know what this is? I was looking for a, a present for my youngest daughter's birthday, and I ended up in the comic book shop across the street, and for $5, I picked up this source of happiness. Baby Yoda. <sighs> Baby Yoda. <laughs> Uh, the band told me today, if the sermon's going bad, all I have to do is prop up Baby Yoda and leave the stage, and all of you will think this is a great church service. Have you, have you met Baby Yoda just yet? It's like captured the hearts of <laughs> as many people as Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Baby Yoda is actually the unofficial name of the star of the Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. Did you know, though, that Baby Yoda is not his actual name? His official name, it's actually printed on the bottom here, is The Child. And uh, I won't ruin the show for you, but when we meet Baby Yoda or the child in the first episode, there's something powerful and mysterious about him. Like every, everyone wants to get close to him because there's something within him, something actually in his blood that has power that no one else has. And there's this belief in the show that if we could just get to the child, if we could just get in contact and tap into the power of the blood of that child, things would be different, the world would change, and the war would end. And when I heard that plot line, I said, you plagiarized Jesus. <laughs> like I, I've heard of this before. Maybe 700 years before he was born, a child who will be born, whose blood could end the war and the conflict? A child whose heart has something, some mysterious power that no one else has. That was the prophecy of Isaiah. That Jesus would come as the mighty God and the prince of peace. And here's how he'd bring it. Jump ahead a few chapters in Isaiah and we stumble across these words. He, the child, grew up before God like a tender shoot. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The prince of peace would come. But how would peace come? Through punishment. Not from the mighty God coming down from heaven and punishing all of the people who had struggled with this me first heart. No, no, no. This child did what no one would have expected. He brought peace by saying the only words in the whole world that could end the war, you first. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we sentimentalize 
uh, Christmas a bit too much. You know, we sing like uh, Away in the Manger and it's so soothing, right? This lovely little lullaby and we think about Jesus, eight, eight pounds, six ounces, laying on the hay. He doesn't cry. We look at that little baby in Mary's arms, that little fingers and toes in, in flesh and blood, Emmanuel, God with us. But do you know what lots of people forget? That the only reason Jesus came with flesh and blood was so that he could later bleed. So he could pay the price that could give you peace with God. When you see Jesus in the manger, a, a shudder should come up your spine as peace starts to creep into your me first heart to think, God did what? You know, that thought hit me a couple months ago. Back in 1968, a construction crew was digging in an eastern suburb of Jerusalem. And as so often happens in Israel, as they were digging, they stumbled across a 2,000-year-old tomb. And inside the tomb, they found a treasure. An archaeological discovery like had never been found before and has never been seen since. Uh, a discovery that they took and put in a special glass case that is housed in the biggest museum in all of Israel. And not too long ago, I saw it. And I snapped a picture so you could see it too. What they found was this. That is a 2,000-year-old nail smashed through the bone of a human being. And it is the only surviving archaeological evidence of a first-century crucifixion. That's the heel bone of a crucifixion victim, a man named Jehohanan. Picture that, the bone right here and the steel smashed through it. And when you stand in front of that, when your face isn't a social distance from it and you think, God did that? God? And you can't sing away in the manger the same. You can't think about Christmas the same. What, what kind of person would, would go through that? I mean, when I, hit, when I hit my hand with the hammer, much less the nail, what kind of God would choose that? But Jesus, in the craziest love in the world, he was so dedicated to you having peace with God that that is what he chose. The son was born and the child was given and the power that could bring peace came through his suffering and through his death. Jesus Christ is God himself. He was the prince with the throne and the crown, but he laid it all down. He laid himself down. He himself was lifted up so that you and I could be lifted up and have peace with God. Jesus Christ, in the craziest act in all of religious history, came down from heaven, looked his creation in the eye and said, you first. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to go to war with your heart that doesn't trust me just yet, so I'll prove it to you. You first. And he said to all of us who struggle to trust God, 
all of us who aren't so sure about his commandments and the things he says about time and money or sexuality, he says, let, let me prove to you that I only want what's best for you. You first. And he gave up everything and gave his flesh and blood on the cross so that you and I could be first. The first to know that we are loved by God right now. The first to know that we have access to talk to God whenever we want. The first to believe that God has plans for us, not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. The first to look into the mirror and know that I am clean and I am holy and I am enough for God because Jesus paid the price for my peace. That is what Jesus did. In crazy, indescribable love, that's what he did for you, that's what he did for us. And so no wonder, on that first Christmas night, when Mary gave that final push, an army of angels appeared, and they didn't come to make war with us, instead they came to proclaim peace. Do you remember what they said in Luke chapter 2? Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. A host of angels. Do you know what the word host means? Army. God sent an army of angels, but they didn't get out their swords. Instead, they lifted up their shouts and they said, there is peace for all those on whom his favor rests. So if you're taking notes, let's write down the secret recipe to peace. The secret is that Jesus paid the price for your peace. Now, what does all this mean for you? A lot is my answer. <laughs> but the clock's ticking and we don't got forever on our TV program, so let me cut to the chase. Uh, this means that you can have peace with God right now and you can take the first peace, the first step to having peace with them as soon as possible. Right now, there is peace. Some of you get that. Some of you are the engineering, mathematical types. You read the passage, that's what you believe, but some of you, you know who you are. You have the big heart, the, the compassion, the, the emotion is so often overwhelming for you. I, I want you to know that right now, whatever you feel about it, you have peace with God. That Jesus' favor rests on you. you. You don't have to wonder about it. You, you don't have to work for it. You, you don't have to get better. You don't have to, <laughs> to get sober. Right now, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is peace. And you can strive and you can work and you can try to be better tomorrow, not to earn peace but believing that you already have it. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And it comes right from God. So brothers, sisters, I want to tell you right now, stop striving, stop working, start resting. It's yours. And when that gets deep, deep into your heart, I, I want you to know that's how we can treat each other too. It's actually why we made the t-shirts. Have any of you seen these yet? When uh, we opened this new campus, we wanted two words to define the way we treated each other. We wanted every volunteer, from those at the front doors to the ushers giving bulletins to those making coffee, to have two words stamped right on their chest to define how we treat each other in this church. You first. <laughs> By God's crazy timing, I had a conversation with a guy who's in church right now and I was talking to him about Christmas Eve worship and he said, uh, Pastor, I'm not sure if we're going to come. And I, I said, oh, well, what's up with that? And he said, 
I would just feel terrible if like a guest came and my family was sitting and like they didn't have a place to sit. You first. <laughs> See, when you and I think about the person who walks through the door for the first time, uh, when it's not about our favorite seats or our little circle of friends that we can laugh and share jokes with, when our eyes are open for someone who's taken another chance on church, for someone who hasn't been religious or spiritual in a long time, when we say, how are you? How can I help you? You want to sit by me? You first. Makes us so, so, so blessed. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you. This is a big week for our church. Last Sunday, we had a guest who invited a guest who invited a guest who invited a guest. And, and people are showing up here for the first time and discovering God and the gospel and discovering peace with their Savior in heaven. And so this week, when you come in a few days, I want you to know that more people are coming. Uh, we don't know how many and we can't predict it. So we, we don't know if they're going to fit. But I just want to put these two words on your heart today. You first. If you have to give up your seat, if you have to go to the lobby, I guarantee you it is a better worship experience here than out there. So if it's full and if there's no place to sit, I want you out there or in your car or driving back home because you first could connect them to the Prince of Peace. And that'll prepare you for after Christmas is over. And you run into that person at the holiday party or after the new year where things are a little bit tense. And God will start to train you to take the first step that creates peace. As you think for one second, what, what would that look like? That coworker where things are tense, the, the boss where you butted heads. What, what could you do or say in the next month that would make that relationship better? What Christmas card could you write and maybe own your part of the tension? What apology could you offer? What gift could you give? I don't know who that person is. I don't know what step you have to take. And I don't know if they'll be humble enough to reciprocate to you, but I'll tell you what. When you serve people and say you first, your conscience calms down and you get to sleep with peace. So as you think about the next step to take, let me leave you with my personal favorite example of the word peace in all the Bible. 249 different uses. This one's my favorite. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you, on you, with his favor and give you peace. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, at Christmas, we don't just celebrate a birth. We celebrate the birth of a humble Savior who would pay the price so that none of us would have to wonder. We wouldn't have to wonder if we're there yet, if we're good enough, if we've earned it. Instead, we could have access to you and stand in grace and know that right now, not tomorrow, but right now, peace through you is ours. <laughs> I thank you for the gift of the gospel. 
And now I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would produce in us what we, we simply can't produce in ourselves. Peace and kindness and selflessness and love. God, it is so hard for us. <laughs> it is so hard when someone has not been good to us to be good to them in return. It's not natural. And so we need something supernatural. We need the blood of Christ to inspire us to be different, to, to shock people, to love even our enemies, to not return insult with insult, but instead with a blessing because we have first been blessed. Um, so God, the next time we see them, the next time their name pops up on our phone, help us. Help us to respond with grace, with love, and take a step that leads to the thing we all want, the gift of peace. We pray this all because we know how you feel about us. <laughs> Your face is shining on us and you're looking at us with favor. That allows us to pray today in peace. We love you, we thank you, God, and we ask for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. You, <laughs> yeah, you can make a powerful difference. 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son into this world to give us life abundant life, an eternal connection to God. And still today, when people hear the good news about Jesus, they receive that exact same life. And that's where you come in. But recently, some incredibly generous friends have offered us a $450,000 challenge grant. You heard that right, $450,000 so we can give more life to more people. That means that every time you generously give to Time of Grace before December 31st, your gift is gonna go twice as far, it's gonna impact twice as many people, and they're gonna find the life that is truly life in Jesus. Uh, it makes me think of a woman that we've met named Jan. Jan once said, this morning I discovered your website and watched a sermon on disappointment and anxiety. It was wonderful. And your closing comments gave me great comfort. I try to see Jesus right beside me every day but with anxiety, it's not always apparent. I just wanted to say thank you. And she's not the only one. Through this incredible grant, you and I can help reach more people just like Jan with the amazing life that is only found in Jesus. To thank you for your generous gift to meet the $450,000 challenge grant, Pastor Mike wants to send you our 2022 spiritual growth calendar, along with his book, Words That Matter. Make 2022 a year where God plants beautiful truths in your heart with the Spiritual Growth Calendar. It features an elegantly displayed scripture verse each month, prayers and suggestions for your personal spiritual growth. And in Words That Matter, Pastor Mike looks at the words hope, joy, peace, and love. Request your calendar and book when you give to our $450,000 challenge grant by December 31st by calling 800 661 3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin 53201, or text TIME to 313131 to give today. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks for listening today. Uh, you have made it this far into the podcast, which means you have above average tastes in podcasts. <laughs> That's why I want to tell you about a brand new podcast from my friend C.L. Whiteside. Uh, actually, let me let C.L. tell you why listening to his podcast is absolutely worth your time. Something that's been on my mind has been, when did this cancel culture begin? 
and people start saying this person is done or they're dead to me. And what makes cancel culture intriguing is that if you aren't angry, like the majority of people are also angry, and you're not saying I'm done listening to them, or I actually forgive them, you get canceled too. So you can't forgive somebody and want to move on and not want to dwell on it your entire life? Join me, C.L. Whiteside, on my podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth. Search The Non-Microwave Truth wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.